As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for miraculous signs, but none will be given it, except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them because she came from far distance to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. And the men of Nineveh will stand at judgment with this generation and condemn them because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And now one greater than Jonah is here. Thank you, Janice. The sign of Jonah seems obscure, perhaps a bit, but in the end, not really. You see, Jonah was a prophet of Israel. He had been called to nasty duty. And that duty was to go to the great city of Nineveh and speak to the heathen of the impending wrath of God. Now the Ninevites were also known as Assyrians. And the Assyrian armies ruled the world. And they were cruel. We know that Roman cities were marked by crucifixes with the dead and dying around the city at certain times. Reminding would-be felons of the fate that awaited them as they entered the city if they misstepped. The Assyrians were fond of putting people on poles, running them through, and elevating them outside their city that way. And if you knew that you were God's messenger, unarmed, going into the great city of the pagan enemy, where kosher didn't apply, and where you were to tell the happy news that in just a few days God was going to destroy them and their city if they didn't repent and turn to them, how do you think you would feel about your assignment? You know, I would like to think that I would go ahead and do it, but truth is it would probably be time to leave the ministry. And I think Jonah felt the same way. I really don't blame the guy. I, I, I know that he had his problems and I know that he ran away initially, but I want you all to hear that it was not without good cause. So if you think you would have been considerably more noble, guess again, you probably would not have either. So Jonah goes down to the port and says, the port of Joppa, and says, get me out of here. I am going the opposite direction. I don't want to go to Nineveh in Assyria. I'm going to get out of here. So he heads for Spain. Or what was Spain? Well, you know the story. Great storm arises. They do everything to keep the boat from foundering. Uh, the swells are terrific. Uh, the men are terrified. And uh, everything is thrown off board, except Jonah. But he knows that he is the cause of this, or this is his insight, his conviction. And he goes to the captain and he says, uh, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. 
If you're looking for someone on this ship who's not right with God, I would be the man. I'm running from the assignment God gave me. I'm going the opposite direction. And if you throw me into the water, the sea will calm. Now, I don't, this sort of thing doesn't occur to us today. And I don't know that it should. But it was very clear to Jonah that this was something God was doing. Well, they didn't want to. They were ethical sailors. You would think if they were that terrified for their lives, they would have said, why didn't you tell us sooner and had him over the railing before you could blink an eye? But they actually didn't. They were concerned for him. But he persuaded them. They threw him off the ship into the water and observed as a great fish came up and swallowed him. Now, I don't know about you, but in the archetype files of my primitive mind, that is probably one of the worst dreams I could ever have. I've been eaten by a bear in my dreams. That was pretty bad. I'm trying to think of other times in which I've been eaten or swallowed by something, but when I think of giant fish, I think of 27-foot great white sharks, a.k.a. jaws, you know. And it's a terrifying thought. Jonah ends up in the belly of a great fish, a whale. I don't know for sure what it was. And God eventually commands that fish to spit him out. I'm sure he was burned from stomach acid, that his skin was white and bleached. I'm sure that he was nauseous. I'm sure he stunk to high heaven. Talk about that fish smell on your hands that you can't get out. He needed to take a bath in lemon juice. I mean, poor guy. Can you imagine walking down the road and people just kind of, you know, stepping aside? And after all of that, he's decided that he's going to be faithful. He's got to speak to the people of Nineveh, which he does. And if you remember the story, he gets an audience with the king, tells the king his message. The king tears his fine clothes, puts sackcloth and ashes on, and commands the whole city to do the same. And they repent before the living God. And then, after his successful evangelism tour, he's mad because he doesn't get to see the fireworks. And the bean plant that had sprouted up to give him shade in the desert sun had wilted. Oh, we're so much like Jonah, aren't we? We're so much like Jonah. And God is faithful, and God is patient, and God is directing and guiding, and God is long-suffering. Jesus is with a group of people who have a great deal of pride. We are Abraham's children, they would say. And they were, genetically. But as Jesus pointed out to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do as Abraham did. And what he did was that when I called him to leave that place that he was familiar with 
and comfortable in, and his kin lived, and called him to an unknown place that I would give him. He obeyed. He got up and he went. He left. He sought a new land and a new inheritance. So the words of Jesus start to take shape. This is a troubling generation. A very troubling generation. You see, when Solomon the Great was king, a great queen, Nubian queen, Sheba, Africa, beautiful queen, brought her entourage up to see Solomon to counsel with him, to hear his wisdom, to get his advice, to form an alliance with Israel. She solicited the wisdom, and though she was great, he was greater. And though she was a Gentile, she sought his counsel. Jesus says, pretty interesting, isn't that? And then I give you the men of Nineveh, who when they heard of God and his wrath, when they heard of impending danger and doom for their city, when they understood that they had been judged and found wanting, they repented of their sin. They covered themselves in sackcloth and ash and they worshipped before the Lord. They took a position of total obeisance. Muslims in their prayers still take that position today. Jesus says those men will stand up and condemn the current generation. The uncircumcised will condemn the circumcised. The children of other than Abraham, although actually the children of other than Isaac because Ishmael was Abraham's son too, will condemn the children of Isaac. The infidels will condemn the people of Yahweh, of God. This was not easy for Jesus' audience to hear. Because what Jesus really cared about was two things. I'm going to use one more loosely because the word you don't see so often connected with this. The other you see the word connected with all the time. The first is trust. Jesus sought the trust of the people in his day and ever since. What is our position in relationship to Christ in terms of trust? And the second, which is always connected, is faith. Think of other biblical stories in the New Testament. So often, Jesus 
contrasts the faith of the woman to the man, the Samaritan to the Jew, the infidel to the person of God, the Roman soldier to the Pharisee. The lesser in that society, if you will, to the greater. How infuriating for the people of Israel. How aggravating, how insulting, how angering. What sort of major buttons being pushed there. Major insults being given. And on that level, it's not hard to understand how Passion Friday came to be. But the lesson that I want us to hear today is this. Jonah was dead. Okay, maybe he lived in some sort of marginally oxygenated air trapped in the belly of this. I'm, I'm not here to say he literally died. He may have, and God may have resurrected him in the act of vomiting above. I don't know how God did it. Please don't pin me down on this. He hasn't told me. You can ask him yourself when you get there. Three days, he's in the belly of a whale. He's dead for all intents and purposes. Let me ask you, if you watch somebody tossed off the edge of a boat and a giant fish comes up and swallow them, what have you just concluded? Well, don't throw me in next. He's dead. This man who would end up preaching to the Ninevites, this evil and wicked city, the city that would repent and trust that God would deal justly with them, this city that would come to faith over the preaching of a runaway, disgruntled prophet with a message from God, God's prophet. Aren't we all like that? We're God's people, but we're runaway, disgruntled, confused people sometimes. God's people. Jonah is dead in the belly of the whale, and Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to give you a sign. You want a sign? I'm going to give you a sign. It's the sign of Jonah. What people meant when they said, give us a sign, was something entirely different. They wanted a miracle. They wanted to see it happen in front of their own eyes. Again. Because you see, by this time, Jesus had made the lame walk. He had made the blind see. By this time, he had turned water into wine. He had walked on water. He had calmed the sea. He had fed 4,000 and 5,000. Actually, I think I have that in reverse order, but 5,000 and 4,000. A lot of people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. By this time, Jesus had vanished as a crowd tried to throw him off a cliff. 
By this time, Jesus had lived 40 days and 40 nights on a connection with living water and living bread in the desert. By this time, Jesus had understood his mission and withstood his tempter. By this time, Jesus had cured fevers and caused them to leave, had cast out not one demon and not two, but legion of demon. Legion. By this time, Jesus had called forth the dead from the tomb. Jesus had raised the widow's son. You want a sign, Jesus says? You want me to do something for you? To prove who I am? I'll give you a sign. The sign of Jonah. Because, you see, it is our humanness. It is our frailty. It is our weak faith searching for a stronger faith. It is our resignation seeking hope. It is our weakness seeking strength. We too are a generation that wants a sign. And what Jesus' words to the people of the day were, the sign is this, I will be buried in the belly of the earth. And as Jonah was resurrected to fulfill a mission, I will be resurrected to fulfill a mission. That'll be your sign. Your sign is, I am alive. Your sign is, I have conquered death. Your sign is, the battle is over. I am victorious. Your sign is this. Trust in me. Have faith in me. Believe in me and life will be yours. Life more abundant in my spirit and life eternal in my grace. You see, if the Queen of Sheba was smart enough to come to Solomon, and the wicked men of Nineveh were smart enough to repent. These who were not called by my name. Stand in condemnation of all of you who have been called by my name. Because they have believed. That's 
where the power is for us too. That's where resurrection life lies for us too. That's where the grave becomes not just a symbol of hopeless loss, but of renewal, of resurrection life, of life made possible anew and made new. Let's not today be the generation that seeks a sign. But today let's be the generation that remembers where God has led. Let's recount his mighty acts of creation, of redemption. His workings in the messiness of people's lives for centuries and millennia his workings in the messy lives we live today and the insecurity and trouble of the world around that hits us so hard sometimes. It smashes us. Let's remember let's remember The other thing that remembrance ties to is Jesus offers this sign and encourages us to faith. Connects with the season for us right now. I've said this in past Easter's and I, I'm struck by the poignancy of it. We who celebrate God's creation weekly we who celebrate God's deliverance from slavery and sin weekly. We who keep the Sabbath weekly. Get to Resurrection Sunday and don't know what to do. We watch football games and mow our lawns. We go have brunch. And perhaps there's Nothing wrong with these things. But we can gather tomorrow and celebrate the risen Lord and remember that on this day he rests. Jonah, Jonah's sign is fulfilled. 2,000 years ago, he's deep in the belly of the fish. He's deep in the belly of the earth. There is not yet proof of hope. There is not yet salvation complete. There is not yet final victory over sin and death. As he comes forth from the tomb, that deal is done. That fate is sealed. The victory is won. And so I give you today the sign of Jonah. Let us remember 
and let us keep faith. And let us celebrate a God who acts creatively. A God who acts redemptively. And a God who acts in the messiness of each of our lives. God bless you. And so, Lord, we would give you our lives, our souls, our all this day. Keep us in faith, full of faith, that our trust might be in you. For you have acted and continue to act, and we praise you. Amen.